0: Friends, welcome to the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Billick. You can find me and the show on Instagram. We're at picky underscore fingers, or on Twitter, that's at banjo podcast. Or you can always email the show at Picky banjo podcast at gmail.com. I have a freshly picked episode for you today. And for those uninitiated, the uh, freshly picked episodes, it's still an interview with a fantastic banjo player. But rather than going into that banjo player's specific style and background, we take a look at a newly released recording from a banjo player's perspective. And today we have a great one with one of my favorite banjo players, so uh, stay tuned for that in just a couple minutes. But another thing I realized when I was putting this show together is the next episode after this will be basically the five year anniversary of episode number one of the show. So I'm, I'm going to try to think up something kind of cool to do to to commemorate the longevity or uh, stubbornness, you might say, of, of me and the mighty Banjo podcast here. I don't know what it's going to be yet, but, uh, you know, I'm I'm only one man trying to put this together. And even though I'm just one person producing the show, I absolutely could not do it without the help of people like Laura Burke. Laura is today's Patreon supporter of the episode... So Laura, thank you so much for supporting the show. I could not do it without you and the rest of my VIPs, the very important pickers, who go over to patreon.com slash banjo podcast, pitch in a few dollars per month to uh, keep this show on the tracks and allow all of you to keep hearing from uh, these banjo heroes and rising stars that we get to hear from on the podcast. So once again, that's patreon.com banjopodcast banjo podcast. And thank you one more time to Laura Burke. And you know what? I just mentioned my VIPs, the very important pickers. Those are the Patreon supporters. Uh, fair warning, we have our monthly VIP video meetup this upcoming Saturday That's February 28th And that's going to be At 8pm Eastern Time So pay attention on Patreon To get that video meeting link And come hang out with me And your fellow VIP listeners
1: Though today I am far from you Someday soon when we are near I will think to say I love you. You are close enough
0: Today's freshly picked episode features a banjo-centric deep dive into the brand new album from the band Mile 12, and that album is titled Close Enough to Hear. Now of course, being the banjo podcast, this is going to be a guided deep dive with the fantastic Mile 12 banjoist B.B. Bowness, who is also a veteran of the Picky Fingers podcast. So uh, listen back to her featured episode to find out more about her personally but uh, I was really excited to catch back up with her and catch up about the, uh, the news around Mile 12. There has been quite a bit, including new members of the band, so she's gonna explain all that for us and take us on a tour through the new Mile 12 release, close enough to here. So uh, without further ado, put your hands together for B.B. Bowness of Mile 12. Bibi, welcome back. It's been a while since you've been on the podcast, but it's uh, great to see you and thanks for taking the time to talk with me.
2: Oh, likewise. Great to see you again.
0: Yeah, you too. Uh, so we are here on the occasion. Your your band, Mile 12, just came out with a new album like within a few days ago, right?
2: So recent. Yeah, February 3rd.
0: Yeah, excellent. Now, when was that actually recorded? I'm getting the feeling that it was maybe in the can for a while before it... Uh, graced us with its presence
2: it was kind of a long time coming yeah it was recorded in 2021 like spring of 2021 but it was it would have been recorded I think like a full year before that if not for the pandemic and band member changes and a lot of upheaval going on with us. We also, to add to that, we had like two or three COVID delays with the producer the engineer. Oh, even we after with.
0: you did start recording it? Yeah, even after we got oh, the band, no. new
2: band members and we're like, we got all these tunes, everything's ready to go. And then we even had like people getting sick with COVID, like I'll oh, push it back a week, push, push it back a month, you know.
0: Oh my God. So it yeah, took a while. Scheduling is a nightmare.
2: Yeah, super hard.
0: So there's a ton to dig into, even just with what you said. I guess, first of all, you said that... Um, you were going to perhaps go into the studio even a year earlier when you had still your previous band members, and we'll talk about band member changes too. Does that mean it would be all the same, would have been all the same material, do you think, and just with a different unit playing them?
2: Yeah, in fact, we worked up a lot of these songs with David and Bronwyn, um, you know, who were, were wow. in the band. and. Sure. Uh, We came out of the pandemic, we had like a full year and a half where we didn't even see each other, let alone like play any gigs. Um, Because, you know, David was in Ireland and Bronwyn was in Nashville and Nate was in New York. So we were really spread out. We like, you know, a lot of bands I think were able to do some stuff, but we were like, there's no way. So we finally got back together again. this was in, I think, June of... uh, when was it? 2021. I, I forget all the timelines now. But right out of the pandemic, we we finally got back together and we had like a week long rehearsal with David and Brown uh-huh. and we got to work on all these amazing new songs that Evan had spent like a year perfecting, right. and there were even more than like ended up on the album. He'd written so many songs over the course of that year off that um we basically got to go through and listen to like 25 songs and be like these are all of our favorite. Twelve or whatever, you know, and, and yeah. a couple from Nate, and so we rehearsed them. We arranged most of them with David and Bronwyn. Played the rest of that year out. We were back to playing festivals. Played at Winfield. Played at Ogden. Played a bunch of summer festivals that were luckily we got to play Rocky Grass. Even right, <laughs> like right, mm-hmm. that was like one of the first uh, festivals back. And yeah. then, um, and then David sent us an email and said, guys, I think you know, it's he had a lot going on in his life with Tabitha moving to America. And just things changing, you know. So he was like, I think my time with the band is coming to an end, sadly. So that brought up this whole, like, question of, like, what do we do? Like, are we still going to be a band? Is is Bronwyn going to be, you know, leaving? Or, you know, she had this offer from Molly Tuttle. Turns out that was a very good <laughs> move on her part. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we we ended up deciding that we did really, we were so proud of these songs and we just spent, you know, six months like playing them and arranging them, we, we wanted to like get them out, you know, like it felt mm-hmm. like we needed to record this album. So we thought, okay, let's still do, let's see if we can find the right people for the job and, you know, keep this band kind of alive. Um, So we, we were so lucky. I mean, it was very sad to, to have David and Brahman leaving. They're sure. just amazing people and amazing players. And, you know, we kind of like grew up together with with all of us. So (laughs) we grew up, not that that's over, but we grew a lot together. Um, Mm -hmm. And, but luckily we found, I think the right people for the job, Corey Brodsky on the mandolin came in and Ella Jordan on the fiddle. And they're just incredible people and great players and sort of, they're tough shoes to fill. If you can, if you even want to think of it that way. I mean, I think it's sort of like you're just putting on different shoes now, but they certainly have done the job. So it's been really fun.
0: For how disruptive that, that can be even in the best circumstances. It's it's a disruptive thing. So having people like that to to hire really helps smooth things out as much as possible.
2: Yeah, definitely. And you know, immediately it was like, oh, this is this is wonderful. Like the you know the the sound of the band. It's a new band. You know, like you change two of five parts, and it it does. You know, it doesn't have the same exact sound anymore obviously because two people play differently you could never you know be identical and sure. we wouldn't you know we wouldn't want them to be so there's been a lot of like uh, musical change i would say um a big part of it is that ella sings really beautifully and you hear that mm-hmm. on one of the tracks on the cd yeah um and so she's come in like powerhouse vocals with uh, adding to the the harmony parts on uh, all the trios as well um and and you know, hearing Corey just step out and, you know, he's an amazing uh, soloist. He's such a a clear improvising voice. That's like a real pleasure to (laughs) to try and follow. (laughs) Yeah, that's Um, cool. Yeah.
0: So is it also fair to say that a lot of these were recorded without, I mean, um, I guess I don't know what your band's process would usually be, but I think it's pretty typical that by the time a band records an album, They've been playing a lot of the songs that they've recorded for maybe months at gigs and trying to really hone hone in what they're supposed to sound like. Is it is it fair to say that maybe your band didn't have that benefit with these or where well, was that at?
2: You would think so. <laughs> you would think it would be like that, but actually we were performing like most of these songs that we recorded before David and Braun even left the band. So because mm. we had worked them up and then done about six months of touring before sure, they left. Sure. So, and it was a definite weird few months of settling back into what is this new band sound like? What is the groove? Like we were definitely pretty lumpy in the first few months, I would say. And we were touring just around the Northeast, but immediately we were playing all these same songs. Like we just sent Corinella the rehearsal recordings of like what wow. is now the record. And so they came into the first rehearsal knowing every song off what is now recorded and off oh, our cool. previous albums, which is incredible. Um, they definitely cool. did their homework. So we had about a f- probably a full year of playing with, like performing these exact songs with Corey and Ella oh, as well great. as with like David. So that's what I mean by it. it was really delayed. Like we should have probably made this recording. If, if David and Rowan hadn't left the band, we would have put it out probably with them like back in, you know, 2021, I guess. Yeah.
0: So yeah. two years ago, you know. So the, uh, the lead-off tune, it, it you got me in my head about how I pronounce tune now.
2: Tune. <laughs> <laughs>
0: the lead-off tune is uh, Romulus. And as it turns out, this is actually probably the bluegrassiest tune on the whole album, I think. Um, I really love the epic story, which which always makes for a good song. And it's credited to Evan. Do you know, is he particularly into like... Mythology and stories like that—is that where is that where his head is most of the time for for these things?
2: I I don't know exactly. Like when he introduces a song on stage, he often does a little bit. It's like uh, when we all look up the spark notes for what happened, you know, um, <laughs> on the the Odyssey. Uh, then you know, so I I don't know that he's like super deep into it. I I'm sure he like studied a little bit at school, but. I think it was more just like a song idea that popped up. Like he had this <laughs> image of, you know, a guy on a beach probably. And and it kind of started from there. I'm not a songwriter, so I, I don't know exactly what was going on through his head. But yeah, I'm certainly glad <laughs> it did.
0: <laughs> no, but it's it just has cool, cool imagery and some in, intense uh, types of sounding themes that you don't always get from, from bluegrass songs, which is really cool. You get a cool banjo break and it definitely has a bit for us banjo players to listen to some cool melodics some cool single string I'm wondering is that an improvised solo that you have on this
2: that's a good question like most of i think the entire record is improvised solos from everyone um I'm just trying to remember if the bass and the guitar were, but yeah, but like the way we recorded the album was kind of set up to be that way because it was mostly very live. Um, like the mandolin and the okay. bass and the guitar were all in the same room, even just with baffles. And the banjo and the fiddle were isolated, I think, just for <laughs> how loud they are. And yeah. the, the space we had wasn't big enough to have everyone in the same room. So for it, like every single mandolin solo on the record is just a, like one entire solo that he took. We got to go through, you know, we would do the track like six, seven times, however many until it felt really rocking. And then like on listening back, Corey would say, oh, like solo number four is like my favorite. And so that would be the Manlon solo. But, you know, entire solos. So for him, they're entire solos. For me, it was more like, I got to go uh, like I could take from like half this solo and half that solo if I wanted to because I was isolated. Yeah. So it like I think the Romulus one, if I can remember right, is spliced in like three different places maybe, but it's all improvised. Like, but it's not the entire solo.
1: <laughs> so I get the, it. Yeah. yeah. So
2: like I might have taken like take four of like the first half of it and then and then I don't like where it goes after that, so I s- switched to you know take six. And yeah. then I get comped back into together. tick four yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So it's a bit comped, but it's not like a worked like I wasn't um I didn't compose a solo and play it the same every time and then pick the best one, if you know sure. what I mean.
0: And as long as you're tracking to a, a click track, then you can you can do that pretty much as much as you want.
2: We didn't track to a click, actually, but really. And yeah. you were
0: still able to comp the solos.
2: Yeah. That's um, great. We practiced a fair amount with the metronome before recording, and we would practice like like before going on stage, even now we still do this as a band, we'll like warm up a bit by like playing all together with a click, which I don't th- know that that many bands do that. <laughs> it's kind of just this weird thing we get. we got into a habit of doing. But we found it really helpful because it keeps the tempos like a little bit steadier and like... If we have this pretty recent memory of where, you know, we know we have metronome markings for all the songs and we like know where ideally they should be. But we don't we didn't track with the click. we didn't for our previous album either, Um, because I think we regretted doing it on our first one. It just sounds like too like stiff, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely pros and cons. Well, that's that's really impressive to hear about.
2: Yeah, I think you can get away with more than you realize you can, you know what I mean? Like, we, we yeah. sometimes it probably wouldn't work, like we just try something like... But if the band's feeling good and the solo is a good solo, I feel like it, it was probably around a similar enough tempo that you wouldn't notice. Yeah.
0: So, given that you were doing a lot of improvising, I mean, there's t- still an amount of planning or preparing that you could do to, to get used to improvising over... if it's certain changes or with a certain melody... Tell us about like how you how you do that or or what do you do to get yourself comfortable with with that progression so that you can go in and without a solo prepared and still pull it off?
2: Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, especially for something like our band is not like, you know, we don't play real long solos. We're not like a jammy band or anything. Mm-hmm. So they're often pretty short solos. So you're kind of getting in and getting out and having your your 10 seconds in the sun. But um yeah. for this one, it was a little longer. Um, and it's definitely it's a quicker tempo. Like you said, it's like the bluegrassiest one on the record. So it's definitely one that I like to practice on and, like, warm up with. And I often have, like, similar things. Like, I say it's improvised, but really, I mean, I, I always have, like, ideas. I have, like, a roadmap of what I would want to do. Um, it's just a matter of, like, which way is the wind blowing tonight right? as to which way down the path I go. So, you know, a good example of that would be, like, it's in E. Um... And so often, you know, I start, I think, on the five chord, like before the solo. And so I start doing, usually I start like doing things on the five chord, like sixth voicings. And that's where like the solo actually starts. So there's all this like lead in time before you even get into the solo. Okay. Um, and I usually like every time we're on stage or in the studio, it's similar. I like always start that same way. I don't know why. It just feels good, and you know, it's easy to get this like rolling
0: transition. Yeah,
2: makes for a good transition. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, the lick before it's like it's like this diminished chord to like this major chord, and then it finally goes to the five chord. So it's just okay. like where I already am is on that voicing. You know. So from there, it's like the the toughest part about the solo for me is how long it is. That was a quarter of it, what I just did. So Uh you have to keep this this improvising going and keep some kind of a flow. That's why I say I always have like a roadmap because you have to have like a lot of things to say at 135 beats a minute <laughs> you're playing on top of a bluegrass band yeah. Um, so yeah I often just do like try to create melodies that are new melodies but with the same voicings you know so like on E uh, if the chord is just E I forget exactly how long the E chord is but you can do a lot of like cool stuff just moving that around And just changing the rhythm of the roll slightly, you know. So mm-hmm. usually I just jam out on that kind of idea for a while. And then like another thing I like to do, I forget what ended up on the record or what didn't, but we play this one live every time, you know. So um I'd like to do like a three note roll on like F sharp minor and G sharp minor and then kind of like keep going if i if I'm feeling frisky, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That kind of idea where I'm really yeah. riffing around all that, and then the trickiest part, and this is usually what I have to like practice warming up on each day before we go play this song, is at some point I usually end up switching to single string, and yeah, that's that the part that's that's the hard thing, the transition. Um, so yeah, the, I, I often practice that, and I, I found that I tend to get into single string like from rolling ideas in a similar way, which is kind of starting instead of going like you know, immediately into like eighth note single string. Often I do this like offbeat kind of you know, like just to ease into it kind of. I don't know. I don't know that I've really thought that out, but it tends to be what I'm like the successful transitions (laughs) or you know, there's like this that's a good yeah. It's
0: a good tip. It's like
2: kind of you you get yourself in there without having to go directly from rolling eighth notes to roll uh, like eighth note single string. Um
0: yeah, yeah, Very cool. Was I you? You don't double thumb like the bass note, do you? Do you ever do that when you're doing some of your like? tip uh, I don't know. It's so hard for me to like vocalize what.
2: <laughs> what right, right, know. right. On like, like, is that yeah. what you're talking about? Yeah, like that. It's always like single string that, right? Thumb, okay. thumb, index, thumb, index, thumb. But yeah, that's a great sound to do. Like all the rhythm options for that. And then, you know, slipping, I didn't do very well, with but like going in and out of that kind of idea, like the, the low drone kind of thing with the uh, the rhythmic, like, yeah, there's a lot of good hacks there for <laughs> playing ideas on foster teens.
0: For sure. So next on the album is the first single, Johnny Oklahoma. Basically the same comment I made about like having a cool story be the background of a song. What is this one about? Is this like a, a circus Stunt man getting shot out of a cannon. Like, what is with this one?
2: So this is—it's a pretty dark one, actually. Like, even so, the the guy that gets blown out of the cannon is doing it. He know he's knowingly doing it as a sacrifice to his community, and he's going to his death. From a silence swallowing the cannon blast, exploded like the universe, merging into light. Johnny Oklahoma. Disappeared into the clouds and left the stillness and the smoky drifting white goodbye johnny oklahoma
1: you were the bravest of us all everyone is honored to have known you old boys can die but legends never fall.
2: it's not like super obvious in the song well i guess it is because his mother says in like one of the verses like i hope you know other young boys don't start to do this <laughs> so it's it's oh my. it's super dark it's like it's very worrying and but i love this song it, um yeah even you know it's it's kind of like uh there's actually you know what i should pull up i should have had this pulled up but um because we've done a lot of like PR for the album now, and even like wrote down a bunch of like pretty detailed notes about each song. Oh. So I should remember them because I'm in the band. But <laughs> <laughs> um, right. yeah, like my my memory of the song is, um, you know, it's it's kind of like it's it's a very dark spin on you know going out and sacrificing for your community. And so this kid is like, yep, I'm going to get blown out of a cannon. And for some reason, it's not clear in the song why, like what that does for the community. But it's this long-standing tradition yeah. where like it's good. It brings the community together and it's very important. And all the other people, all the other young boys are looking up to it. He's like a hero, you know.
0: Right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like you said, it's this sacrifice Um for someone's good and maybe it's not clear, but it's, it's some interesting imagery, no doubt about it. For sure. I love the, the arranged banjo and mandolin parts. So take me through how, how you guys worked that out. Is that maybe even leftover from the David arrangements or was this a new thing?
2: It was the David arrangements. Um, so I remember coming up with it. I think we were all sitting in the room together, you know, David and Bronwyn, um, We're in the band, but it was like, we did this whole week of arranging and so this was definitely one of the later songs in the day. And we were doing like nine to fives, like, which is far too mm-hmm. long to be arranging you know, all day. <laughs> but cause we've, you know, David and Brian like flew in just for rehearsal purposes. So we're like, let's do full days. So this g- was definitely, it it, yeah. yeah, it was like 3 PM, one of the afternoons. And it was like the last song we hit that day and everyone was checked out. Like everyone. <laughs> so David, I remember David sitting there being like, yeah, that's a good idea. Babe's so like, figure out some roll or something <laughs> and I was like wow well, okay uh, I'm not sure exactly what you know what to do but yeah it's like over um, B, it's in B flat and we're just doing like a D minor arpeggio and then to a B flat major so it's, it's pretty straight ahead really okay and then the next little line is just like a scale, major scale down. Sliding in So yeah Maybe this is what You know We were so checked out This is what we could come up with And then the last line is um A minor A minor arpeggio Is just down So over the F Yeah Did I say the song was in B flat Or did I say the song was in F
0: I think you said B flat
2: Yeah It's definitely in the key of F
0: <laughs> Okay
2: So yeah, so six to four, I guess, would be the first two chords, and then down.
0: Yeah, there's something about the harmonies that you guys use that kind of gives it a little bit of like a fantasy world sort of uh, sort of vibe. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I think uh, I think uh, David and or what Corey ended up doing um, was just harmonizing that line. So he's probably up here, and then. And I'm done here, I think. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cool. Would you say this album overall is a bit more arranged in those kind of ways than maybe previous Mile 12 records? It seems like it to me, but that might just be because, uh, you know, preparing for this, maybe I listened to it a, a bit closer than I have. But it definitely had some of those parts that seemed much more arranged.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on like the tunes cuz like there was one on our last record that um we talked about last time actually. It was David's tune, Rialto, and oh, yeah. that was that's a great one. hyper arranged. Like I still I mm-hmm. have to count that every time I hear the tune. I'm like count, it's in 7 or something. I have to like count every single time. You know, it's like uh-huh. it's very complicated. So that was probably more complicated than anything that's on this new album. But I would say like my personal um Opinion of the new record to the old record is the songwriting is is stronger, I would say, and like the the stories are clearer um, and the old record it was just a little bit more like themed in that like bluegrass tradition, I guess like this you know songs are a little bit more like. To be expected, whereas like you know, already we've covered a guy getting blown out of a cannon and the Roman Empire, so right. like, <laughs> it's just like a little bit more unique, I guess. The Not your typical bluegrass songs yeah Yeah, and we tried to really like some of the songs are really simply arranged and there's like not much to them and i think that's just like us being i think old mile 12 would be like we've got to do every trick in the bag on on every record you know and this time we're like well if the song isn't calling for it we're not going to do it like there's no song at 170 on this record just because none of the songs even wrote needed to go at 170 beats a minute you know
0: yeah exactly Was there any particular reason to make it the first single? I mean, it's a great song. What did the band hear in terms of wanting to put that foot forward?
2: Um, I think actually Close Enough to Hear might have been the first single we released. but oh, I th- okay. And I think um, Johnny, I'm terrible at remembering this stuff, but I think Johnny Oklahoma was second. Uh, but I would have been happy putting it first because this is my favorite song on the record, I think. It's just uh, so cool. weird and, you know, it's so clear, the, the the songwriting. Like there's just such clear imagery. I love um But yeah, I think that was, we're just trying to put the strongest kind of material out there in the world. I think it's hard to choose on this album because there's a lot of good stuff, but...
0: Just one that everyone felt good about?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think you all kind of unspokenly know what's like, what's going to be the best song, you know, on record. Like, Mm -hmm. like you might not want to say it, but for us, it's like Evan (laughs) wrote all the songs. So it's like he's competing, except for the one that Nate sings and the one that Ella sings. So Evan's really just competing with himself.
0: And your banjo tune.
2: Oh, thanks. Yes. Can't forget about the banjo tune.
0: (laughs) Hey, folks, just need to take a quick break to tell you all about my good friends up in Lansing, Michigan at Elderly Instruments. Now, you might be thinking that with Elderly's amazing selection and their fast worldwide shipping, that they are some big box conglomerate store. But no, Elderly has been family owned since 1972 and they pride themselves on giving you the customer service and personal touch that only a mom and pop store can give you. So the next time you need anything for your banjo, guitar, violin, mandolin, any stringed instruments, accessories, instructional materials, and I'm talking about whether you're looking for a beginner instrument or even a high end vintage hard to find item is gonna have you covered. It's my first place that I go. So check them out at elderly.com. And don't forget to let them know that the Piggy Fingers Banjo Podcast sent you. This podcast is also brought to you by Peghead Nation, a site that brings you streaming video courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele you can learn bluegrass old time and plenty of other roots music styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in the world now some of what peghead nation offers is a great lineup of course of banjo instruction check out these courses beginning banjo with bill evans bluegrass banjo with bill evans Clawhammer banjo with evie Layden, wade ward style banjo with bruce molsky The Banjo According to Danny Barnes and Contemporary Bluegrass Banjo with Wes Corbett. Now, regardless of what course you choose, you're going to get high quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play along tracks, and plenty of tunes to play. Now, perhaps the best part of all this is that just by being a Picky Fingers podcast listener, you are going to get your first month free. Just go to pegheadnation.com and use the promo code PICKYFINGERS at checkout. That's PICKYFINGERS, all lowercase, all one word, over at pegheadnation.com. And then you you just mentioned it, but the title track is next. Close enough to hear. Same sort of question. Obviously, it's the title track, so I'm wondering what kind of meaning did the title have to the band that made it a good choice to have the album called that
2: it was tough we we weren't sold on like calling the album that for a while there was def- it, it got suggested a long time before we committed to it cuz we we're like we're not sure but um that song close enough to hear was a song that Evan wrote like really quickly after uh, the pandemic it was mid pandemic and he was He's really close with his family in Boston. They see each other like every three days. It feels like, you know, they live really close together. And so for uh-huh. him, unlike me, right, where I have to like fly across the world to see my family. Yeah. <laughs> Evan's used to just being out of nip down the road and pop in for a cup of tea or whatever they do. And he couldn't do that for the first time in his life. And so he was really feeling that, as I think so many of us were. And the song just kind of popped out of that out of him really quickly a lot of times he like labors over songs for months and months and revisits them and revises them not this one it just sort of like came out and I think it just sort of sums up the time of like between the last record and this new record I feel like that was like what was going on for all of us you know like yeah. missing each other missing every all of our families the whole you know music industry was turned upside down The Band li- nearly died and <laughs> came back to life. So I feel like that song just kind of sums up this time period for us in a nice way.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. uh Moving on to Red Grapes on the Vine. Is that, I-, I know Nate is credited as having written this one. Is that him singing it too?
2: Yeah, it is. Yeah.
0: Oh, wow. It definitely has like a very unique, like vocal type of sound. It's almost like crooner ish in, in, some ways and 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 that's that's meant to be a compliment it's definitely got that like a little extra soul factor to it
2: yeah i think cool. we were all thrilled with how that one turned out and Nate, you know he's always like sung like a, a song or maybe even a couple songs on our records but he really put himself out there for this one and i and got a really good vocal take and you know i think it, it came across really well each
0: day right when the storm comes i just stand out in the rain. Watching father after father Screaming out his name And the mothers all just sit there asking why And the children all just look up at the sky
1: What will be, will be And it will be coming time a If you're looking for answers Then I'll give you mine my sparkling
2: white. But they're just a red on song Um Yeah it's uh, Nate's like background growing up was his mom is an opera singer and he uh, grew up doing like um, like choral music before he touched a bass like long before So wow. I feel like he's got that like you know that vibe sort of creeps in sometimes. It, even on this song, is like a rock kind of rock feel, right? Like jazzy rock feel, I would say. Yeah. And he's got still that like element of like, choral music. You know, it's like all of those three things clashing yeah. in, my, in my mind, and it brings exactly. out Nick.
0: No, I hear, I absolutely hear that. And something I, I think we, we sort of alluded to when we were talking about how you arranged things on this album, but like, and I could, so I could say this about a lot of the songs, but I'll say it about this one, I guess, just to get us started. It's pretty striking how sparse a lot of it is. It definitely gives the album on the whole, like a more mature and, and like I said, kind of a highly arranged kind of sound. And I guess I'm just wanting to hear you talk about how conscious of a decision that was to maybe go a whole verse without playing your banjo or when you do play your, you're not just playing um foggy mountain rolls through through everything you're playing a line and having it i mean you know what you did but (laughs) right yeah so yeah just just talk about how how that approach came to be
2: i think i mean it wasn't like a conscious like we didn't really arrange it thinking this would be an album like we arranged kind of each song on its own and then we're like well these are the best 10 songs we have so this will be the album like, I know some people do, like, we're going to create an album and, like, arrange it through almost. But for us, it was like, yeah, there's some some tracks just don't have that much banjo or they don't, you know, not everyone solos in every song by, by any means, not even close to. So um, I think it's just trying to make that song the best it can be. Like, if we only put one song out, it would be, like, a really good story and a really good musical, like, arrangement. Um And for me, like, I often had to be like, wow, do you think the banjo should, like, come in at all, guys? (laughs) Like, I would be sitting there sometimes in rehearsal being like, I don't want the banjo on. (laughs) You know, I know I'm the banjo player, but, like, it's this beautiful song and, like, you have a really complete sounding groove. I don't even know what to add, you know? So that's, like, on, like, Nate's song, it's just that, like, riff at the beginning, you know, that, like, Al and I play together and, and then the rest of the time I'm pretty much just like... Just doing chordal, kind of stand out of the way a little bit. Um, yeah, it's
0: very sparse. Yeah. Very
2: sparse. Yeah, yeah. I just, tr- you know, I think the it depends on who's in your band and who's writing the songs. But like the songs that tend to got tend to have gotten written in the last year or two, this I don't know. To me, don't feel like they need raging banjo. They're just like good songs. Do you
0: think it's mostly the songs, or do you think it's equally maybe? Are you perhaps changing the way you? hear music or think that your your banjo the role of your banjo plays with it
2: i guess it could be i mean um i feel like on previous albums we've just been a little bit more in that in the bluegrass box like so we'll Mm -hmm. be like this is kind of our mashy tune and this is our like super fast tune and this is our power waltz and we had like every type of bluegrass whereas these songs it's it's not at all like coming from that it's just like whatever songs got written now what how do we like make them sound good with the five of us um and so like i don't know i i feel like just the nature of evan and nate and and me you know but like all of us growing up where we did and listening to the music we did is not really bluegrass so there's like less of a clear role for the banjo to do which is kind of frightening at times you know it's like what do i what do i even do you know it's like there's not going to be a banjo kick on the song. It's like an Americana kind of halftime groovy thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, so just like do some sparkly things and try and try and like not draw attention to the fact that there's banjo on it almost. I mean, that sounds bad, I guess, because we're on a banjo podcast. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely why it, like some of the tunes and, and live will play, you know, a few bluegrass songs and stuff like that. So it's, it's a different thing when we're playing like a live show. But um yeah just trying to make the song sound good that's kind of our that's been our like new mile 12 motto
0: (laughs) for sure and now to everyone's favorite hopping around telluride bb's banjo tune tell us about this one i think i read that this was inspired about or, or uh inspired by what a trip you took with your your mom the first time you came to the states is that right
2: Yeah. So I, you know, uh, as in instrumental tunes, you can, I mean, I guess you can have an idea of like, you know, what tune you're going to write before you write it. But it, it was the other way around for me on this one. I was just sitting down. And I was definitely thinking about that trip and thinking about my mom, um, but it wasn't like setting out to write her a tune particularly. Yeah. So, yeah, it was kind of more like a, just a mood that came across. And I was like, you know what? It would be cool is to like dedicate this to mom because it was just an epic journey. And, you know, we flew to America for the first time together and drove across the country together and, you know, a lot of good memories. So I wanted to make sure that it was named for her.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Um, well, it definitely, you know, as I can imagine your, your trip with your mom must have been, it definitely has like a playful, adventurous type of type of vibe to it. general how do you compose pieces for banjo is it is it similar to what you just said sit around noodling and maybe be inspired by a mood or a a memory um is that is that pretty typical for you
2: yeah and often i'm um i'm not real uh structured with writing i know some people are really good like that they're like set themselves deadlines and like write the tunes Um, For me, it's usually like, you know what? I haven't had a tune written for the band in like five years. I should write a tune that the band (laughs) could do, and that's what comes out of like that. I'm writing for that purpose usually, and so I'll just, you know, maybe I need to write like five tunes before I get a good one that's like shareable. (laughs) But um, but yeah, it's it's it is often like that. Or I might be more specific, and I might think of a key or a style of tune just to get myself started like I think putting limitations on yourself is a really good way because if you just say I'm just going to write music that's pretty up in the air right yeah whereas if intimidating you say, there yeah. are too
0: many possibilities
2: absolutely whereas if you say I'm going to write a uh, waltz in the key of c that has two parts and the b part's going to go to b flat Right. That gives you a place uh-huh. to start. And maybe you, you start writing that waltz in C and you say, oh, you know what? Actually, I want it to go to the key of A in the B part, or I want it to actually not be a waltz. <laughs> like, But it just gets you started, you know, which I think is good.
0: Well, speaking of limitations or, or a predetermined structure like that, this tune is fairly unique. I love how it introduces a different part of the tune not until what, like two thirds of the way through, or three quarters of the way through, or something like that, was that part of your initial idea for it? Something that will will sound like a normal like A B section fiddle tune, and then all of a sudden there's a C part that not hadn't been played before.
2: Yeah, that that part of the tune was the first part that I wrote actually. Um, oh. Now that I remember it, and I was just messing with like an idea right around. So I was like coming up with that first I think and then because this shape is you know really similar I'm just doing like the like uh, a sixth voicing or sixth interval on the fourth and the second string for you podcast listeners um, and then I was like okay what if I just did that in D? this is kind of, I don't know exactly what this it's kind of G stuff, like a F sharp on the bottom and an E on the top. So yeah, I was, I think I was mostly playing, like this tune came out of mostly playing with sixth on the fourth and the second string. I was trying to write a tune, this is, often I write tunes that are like, have nothing to do with the banjo. (laughs) Like, and by that, I mean, there's not a single role in any of them. So you oh, know. Oh, what?
0: So you you mean they're like just purely melodic, or you or do you mean you actually write them on like a guitar or a piano or something?
2: Yeah, I don't play any other instruments, so I don't know why I I have always done that. But like one of my earlier tunes, it's just so like unbanjo. It's like you know, it's stuff like that. It's like, yeah. It is you know, it's like played on a banjo, but there's not a role in it right so uh-huh. like I've, I was really influenced um, especially when I first moved to Boston by our good friend Gabe Hirschfeld because yeah. um, you know the, their band is like our big brother band the Lonely Heartstring Band and they got well off the ground before Mile 12 even existed and yeah. Gabe would always write these really cool tunes that had like rolls and melodies and rolls and like I was always like just writing single string ideas or like little <laughs> jazz melodies or something and my bandmates sort of Always be like why can't you write a tune like Gabe and we could do it with the band and it'll be cool and like banjo you know a banjo tune right. <laughs> so yeah. when I was coming up this time I wanted it to sound like it had some rolling it wasn't just a melodic style or a single string style like it had something that was unique to the banjo about it
0: so after all these years you're still just trying to write tunes as if you were gabe hirschfeld is that what? That's is that what i'm basically hearing
2: basically it and i can <laughs> never do it dang it <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah we we'd all be better just chant channel our inner gabe uh, as definitely. our guiding force yeah
1: cool
0: <laughs> anything else to say or or demonstrate about that one i mean definitely people should go listen to it sounds like you make good use of the whole range of the instrument too which is another cool thing about it
2: yeah it definitely gets way up there um yeah. And we were playing with it for a while in the key of F, but I would still just play the exact same version and just put my capo on mm-hmm. the third fret. And so, and it was the reason was because it technically the mandolin and the fiddle can't play the melody. If it's in D, they run out of, they have to do an octave switch. Okay. And so, when we're trying to like just learn this tune and figure out who would play the melody and what would, what would it be and we were like oh well let's just do it in F so that like Madeline and Fiddle could play the melody and we did it like that for months and then after a while like we had arranged it so that I am playing the melody the whole time and not taking solos and other people are taking solos I was like why on earth don't we just do it in D because I'm the only one that ever plays the melody you know you guys are just soloing (laughs) <laughs> so I so we for a while it didn't have a name yet. I, I hadn't decided it would be for my mum and we called it D tune and then we called it D tune and F and then we called it <laughs> D tune and F and D. <laughs> so it's not exactly a, a good piece of information, but there you go.
0: No, it's almost like the whole Noam Pikelney plays Kenny Baker plays Bill Monroe thing. You just keep the keep the chain going.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's funny. Another question for you i've i've been to telluride and i've seen firsthand how you know awe inspiring all the mountains are there and everything like that i've never been to new zealand but i've seen photos that actually make it look not completely different to telluride so you're the perfect person to ask how how does it compare being in some of like the scenic new zealand places compared to telluride are they similar
2: well i would say telluride is like more Epic on its scale, right? So, in, like uh, New Zealand mountains are big, but New Zealand isn't that big. So, if you're driving around New Zealand, you might be like r- driving along the ocean side for a bit, and then you're like 20 minutes later driving through all this farmland, and then 20 more minutes more, you're in the like. You know the Alps with the glaciers, uh. and then the other twenty minutes you're back on the beach. You know, so it's like, <laughs> uh, like whereas in America I'm like, like I'll we'll be driving on tour somewhere, even like uh, like North Carolina or something, and people were like, oh, we're really in the mountains now, and I will like look around and just see like the highway and be like, did we like go up a mountain? You know, it's so it's like less obvious, but it's like grander, yeah. you know. So it's like New Zealand is like uh, quite striking because. You see these like mountains, and it's right next like all oh, this beautiful ocean or something. So it's like yeah. it's like everything's a mini scale or something, and that's what makes it crazy. But in in America, it's like oh my god, these are like mountains, <laughs> you know? These are just humongous, and they're everywhere. But yeah. the ocean is like two days drive away, right?
0: Okay, yeah, I think I understand. Yeah, just just the just the magnitude. Yeah, that's the insane. magnitude
2: is different. Yeah.
0: Let's go on, waiting. This now this is uh, Ella's song, so it's really cool to hear you know the new voice. Like you said, she's got a really cool voice, almost sounds jazzy uh, a little bit in, in moments. I'm
2: still gazing out my window, feeling lonely and confused, and I'm reeling as a process. All of yesterday's news, they're always 20 steps ahead of me i cannot match their pay someone told me i should be here but i don't want to run this race Yeah, definitely. I think her, um her she grew up playing fiddle with her sister Minnie and so they um, she's a great jazz fiddler and and Ella is too and um they like would sing a lot together and I think Ella would like play guitar and sing like um oh, cool. kind of swing stuff or um you know, Texas music. I don't know, I'm going to be saying it all wrong, but you know, she's really deep into, you know, Texas swing kind of stuff and it oh, definitely really comes cool. across in, in her vocals as well. Anything, any tidbits to say
0: about your banjo approach? I really like the, it kind of has a really nice lyrical style. I, I guess I'm talking about your solo now for, for this piece. Um, Thanks, I, I don't know, yeah. I, don't, I don't have a specific question, but I'd, right. I just really like the sound of it. How did, how did you come up with that stuff?
2: Yeah, well, it was like well, improvised again. I think this was a full solo if I remember right. So it wasn't like any, you know, different takes in it, but, um, I I love playing over this feel, and I think Mile Twelve has done a lot of it in the past. It's like a singer songwriter feel, you know. It's mm-hmm. like kind of almost like timey groovy, vibey stuff, yeah. and you can be really like heartfelt on it if it, if you can be heartfelt on the banjo. I don't know if that's possible, but I feel like you. It, it's this groove that like sets you up for that. Of um, course, yeah, yeah. Just so, enough
0: time to like be able to think about what you're doing a little bit?
2: Yeah, it's not like furiously fast or anything like that, you know. Um, and just beautiful, like it's a, it was in a B flat, I think, if I remember it. Right. Yeah, and um, just a nice key for the banjo. And I, I think I was doing a bunch of those same kind of voicings on this one from Hoppin, but, you know, soloing using those sixth on the fourth and second strings, I think. Another I thing, think I, you're right. yeah, I did a lot on the on the CD. It turns out was these sprayed voicings. I don't, I can't remember if it was in this solo, but yeah, like ideas, like you know that kind of thing, um, which I feel like is is nice, like just a different texture and and getting like a little bit more than like like ideas like that where you're just playing in such a short range um it's nice to those sprayed voicings just immediately give your sound a little bit more uh interval jumpness. Mm-hmm. if that makes sense
0: oh yeah for sure um and then oh what was i just gonna say oh i i wanted to ask uh so you said it's in b flat were you playing that out of b flat no capo? I wasn't. Just out, of, out of I, open B-flat?
2: Yeah, I don't have my capo on right now, but yeah, on the recording, I was like capoed ah, to the third okay. fret. Because
0: mm-hmm. I, I know you do do that. I recall you having a really cool arrangement of, I don't know. Done gone. It? Done gone. Yeah, okay. yeah. I was going to say Daily is real, but I, I didn't think that was right. So I like
2: that one open too, actually. The only one out of the B-flat tunes, is as far as I can tell, there's only three B-flat tunes. Is Those two we just mentioned and New Camp Town Races. New and Camp
0: Town Races. New Camp yeah. Town
2: Races, I like to have the capo on just because it's more like grassy, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. But I know Ned does, I think, all three of those open without the of capo. Of course he does. Of course yeah. he is. Smarty pants. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Anywhere town. It's definitely say, one of
2: those ones where I was like, "What on earth am I going to play on this song?"
0: <laughs> but so, what did you play on it? I don't, I don't remember offhand. Is this the one where it's basically the same rhythm as the guitar? Yeah. You you and the guitar Um, really play together?
2: It's mandolin and banjo again. So similar to Johnny Oklahoma where there's like this riff that we're both doing in the choruses, but it's super atmospheric. Like there's not one second of there ever being a groove. Nate is playing a bowed bass the entire time. And it's kind of like the arrangement came out of like trying to make it feel like you're stuck in an airport forever or you're on the road and you didn't know which town you're in. So that kind of like crazy, like, where am I? What's going on? Kind of feeling. We were trying to get that happening. A
0: little bit of Twilight Zone.
2: Yeah, which is, hence the sparseness of the arrangement.
0: (laughs) Yeah, cool. When you, you you just mentioned, like, what the heck are you going to do? Do you find yourself noodling to find what you're going to do? Or are you more the kind that just needs to like maybe like meditate on the sound a bit and let the banjos roll in it come to you or or, uh, what
2: this was yeah it's a good question oftentimes we'll um we do this arrangement technique of play what you feel (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is a great way of just making something happen because if you're all sitting there together and you're like, well, what are we gonna do this time? Like, you know, how yeah, who kicks it off or whatever? You know, you're trying to come up with something new that you haven't really done, but that isn't untasteful for the song. Um, but this one I remember we had already arranged this song and we had arranged it in this like bluesy kind of Rocky fun feel and like if we did it for like a year before even finally spoke up and he was like guys I just don't like this song this arrangement doesn't really suit the song like I want it yeah. to be kind of all atmospheric and so after like a long time we sat back down we're like well what do you mean by atmospheric <laughs> like yeah. you know give us some specifics so and he actually does the, the a very similar thing the entire time he's playing guitar the whole way through and singing the song but everything around him has changed completely from what we yeah. were doing. Um, and it was it was more specific. Like, we didn't really have time to meditate on it, but I remember sitting there being like, well, what about this voicing? We know we wanted a little like banjo, like lick or idea or something, yeah. um, just cause of what else is the banjo gonna do? We don't want it to be like rolling. And I just remember like playing around with different, Like it's in B flat, and I was playing around with different G minor sounds. And we came across like walking up from G to A to B flat and then coming up with the low voice to like the C. So B flat, C, F, kind of like a sus sound. So it's like G minor, uh-huh. G minor nine with that. I love that close interval there.
0: Yeah. So yeah, good. I like it too.
2: You bend it, you sound like Kelly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh yeah.
2: And then uh, now I'm out of tune. But yeah, that that's basically the, the part of the riff that came up with that song.
0: Wonderful. Uh, Take Me As I Am, and this is um, kind of back to more of like, I guess, a quote-unquote regular stomping kind of bluegrass feel. Something that I dig with your playing and that you really demonstrate in the solo on this is you can play melodically pretty high up the neck, which is A challenge without a lot of like open strings to use and stuff like that so I'm wondering if there's anything that you can say about your approach to that or what type of things do you work on to be able to maneuver your way around up there if there's a way to demonstrate that or explain it
2: a really tough song i actually like i wasn't super stoked with the solo that ended up on the record but it was the best i could do at the time you know and that's the danger of improvising all your solos is yeah you get what you get you, <laughs> you know. might be stuck yeah <laughs> so i i definitely i want to get better at playing on this song and i feel like somebody that would really crush this song is kyle tuttle because it's like kind of a jam bandy like it, you know, it needs to rage, and I feel like the thing I'm not happy with on the solo is like it doesn't rage quite hard enough. It's fine, it's fine, but you know, but
0: you just don't have enough rage in you, baby. I, I you need, need to, more rage. Need to get angrier.
2: I need more anger. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I, but I love he, he's so epic with his like ideas, and so um, I've been thinking about this lately and trying to work on more ideas, like exactly what you're talking about. It's a fast tune, you know, and it's got that like weird rocky kind of groove that the band's yeah. doing or like you know string dusters kind of do that like double exactly, timey the, thing the
0: heavy downbeat thing yeah.
2: yeah and like you just can't have a spacious tidy solo over top of that like it has to rage <laughs> is what I'm learning so I'm trying to work on but yeah um, so what yeah a lot of what I do is actually similar on this one uh, what I w- want to do is The melody with six, like, so the song's in F and it's that's on the B-flat chord. But at a certain point, I want to be able to kind of go up, you know, high and play some epic Kyle Tuttle licks. Right. (laughs) So I was working on things like just grabbing, you know, different positions. A cool thing, you know, if you go like up the scale, say I'm starting on like a C kind of chord voicing. That one's weird because you've got two B flats, but starting on B flat, C, D, E, F, and I'm wrapping on my thumb on the E note. And then I'm coming back down on the second string with my ring finger. That's the second string that little figure is kind of a nice movable melodic style position. And you can move it, you can make it flat seven, you know, you know, that kind of thing. So that's kind of a cool thing. I don't know if it would exactly fit in this song, but then other voicings you could grab, like just grabbing three notes and grab one on the fifth string, you know, I've been trying to work On things like that For this song But yeah It's a, it's a challenge like I kind of have to have Like these ideas Road mapped out A little bit To be able to get Into them And out of them Successfully um, Right Yeah That's yeah, find definitely Find these hard. little Like
0: closed uh Blugs. Closed areas That you can work with Yeah
2: Definitely Yeah And I think that's I On cool. on the You know that Bailer lick That's like That everyone does yeah. That's super cool That's another good thing That works on this Which I think is how I uh, the solo on the record. But yeah, you can really mix up like the rhythm of that role nicely and create some like excitement, you know? Cool. For maximum rage. For rage, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome. Uh if only, I mean I think the most notable thing on this banjo-wise, is obviously you're using a different tuning. Sounds like a, a Hartford low E kind of thing.
2: It's low E, yeah. Th- I think that's right. And I kind of remember, we don't do it like that live, so I kind of remember what... It's a, the songs in the of B. Oh,
0: so. uh, okay. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a lower tune, though. So, it's, yeah, that's that's a cool thing to hear.
2: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, so we've gone through the songs. I think we, you know, you mentioned that you have new band members but i don't even know that we've sufficiently introduced the old band members so why don't you just take people through like introduce the players on the album and maybe just give like a quick sentence about like what types of things they are really good at adding to the band i guess
2: you mean for like evan and nate
0: all right, uh, for for all of them, yeah. Just okay. introduce us to the yeah. to the whole band because I don't know that we've uh, heard uh, all their names and, totally. and heard about them.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the front man and singer and and primary songwriter is Evan Murphy, and he's Bostonian. Um, he plays guitar. He actually originally started on the banjo, but, um, somebody told him, you know, it's really hard to like sing and lead jams if you're the banjo player. So <laughs> the guy was like, you should switch to the guitar. And so he did. And then later ran across that same guy and the guy didn't even remember telling Evan that though it changed the whole, whole future of mile 12 would not have existed. But so yeah, that's Evan Murphy. And, um, he wrote the, a lot of these good songs. So it's really a big part to him, you know, that this project exists and then uh nate sabat he's the bass player he's new york born and bred and um he's an amazing he's a lot of things nate um he's a great baritone singer he's a great arranger he's a great writer songwriter um he can play the heck out of bass and bows it as well as pit stuff you know um he's yeah he's a man with many talents that guy um, so it's Nate. And then uh, the new kids on the block are Corey Brodsky. He's a man on player. Corey is, we've known Corey for a long time because his dad plays uh, bass. He's a really good bass player in this band called Rock Hearts, it's a New England bluegrass band. Mm-hmm. Um, and they tour some as well, but so Corey grew up listening to bluegrass and was uh, really steeped in it. From he knows more bluegrass than any of us in the band. Like, wow. we'll okay. we'll like mention a song, like, oh, maybe we should do this bluegrass song, and Corey will be like, oh, that's so overdone, <laughs> <laughs> and we we'll be like, sorry, Mister yeah. Bluegrass. But yeah, so Corey is um, a great guitar player as well as a mandolin player. He studied mandolin at Berkeley. And just recently graduated. He uh joined the April Virch band and then pandemic happened and so they didn't oh, tour and everything. And then coming out of that, we were like, Corey, might you join our band? And yeah. he was like, Yeah, let's do that. So we're we're lucky to be able to grab him. And then Ella Jordan is a fiddle player. She's uh Texas born and bred, and she's very proud of it. She's a fierce Texan. <laughs> <And> <laughs> She and her sister grew up, like I said, playing fiddles together from a really young age. And uh she went to Berkeley. She got in like years before <laughs> she might have got in when she was like nine years old. <laughs> Not quite, but she was pretty young getting into Berkeley. Oh and, wow. Um okay. and just whizzed through that program real quick and and then uh like coming out of the pandemic, I think you know, it's just good timing. She didn't have a full time gig. Um, and so we just like scooped her up at the right moment and she's an awesome singer and great fiddler um, like really you know varied background like she's probably um unlike Corey, who's like steeped in bluegrass she's more coming from that like j- uh, lots of things really americana bluegrass old time um jazz she's kind of pretty uh you know well versed
0: yeah, excellent and then uh. Of course, we need to hear about the banjo that you played for the recording. Tell us ah, tell us what we're hearing.
2: This is my favorite part. This is a new banjo. like last time I made myself listen to our old podcast episode uh-huh. and I was like, wow, I was remembering that I had the Robin Smith Heartland banjo back then, which was you know the banjo I had for 15 or more years. But yeah, coming out of the pandemic, the week that David and Bronwyn left the band, so there's a lot of, we weren't even sure we were going to continue. I was deciding whether or not to buy this RB3 Gibson. <laughs>
1: uh-huh.
2: And I was like, you know what, what the heck? If the worst comes the worst, I'll still be playing the banjo. I'll teach everyone Cripple Creek on RB3. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I got this banjo from NOM. It's, um, It's an amazing instrument. I feel really lucky to have it. And... It's a weird banjo. I try and remember all my all my years and things. So it's a 1927, but it wasn't originally a flathead. And the guy who played it at the time was like a professional banjo player. And he wanted the new banjo that everyone had. So he went back into the Gibson workshop or factory or whatever and said, Give, make this one a flathead for me. So this was in the 30s, like early 30s, oh, and so they like made a
0: factory did... conversion from. Yeah. Interesting.
2: Yeah. So, but they put on the wrong sticker on the inside. So any banjo people that would look at this banjo would be like, "They're an original flathead." <laughs> they might not oh, have the Southern funny. accent, okay? But it looks wrong, yeah. So, but it's all documented and everything. Like, so says no Bickelney, who sold it to me, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, so it's like it is a. It's a flathead that became a flathead after whatever five years of its life. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So, and it's a two-piece flange, which is uh, really unusual, so they tell me. Um, Steve Huber had it for a while. Um, So the only part of it that's been replaced, like the neck is original, but the fingerboard got replaced at some point by somebody.
0: It's an original five-string. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow.
2: RB3. Incredible. I didn't realize that. That's why everyone says. I feel like I introduced it wrong because I've got my digits around the wrong way or something because everybody <laughs> says it, But I think, doesn't RB3 mean that it's original
0: or not? It, it does, but I think people just don't, even when you say that, I think it just doesn't even register that that's what it could be because so few of them are so right. I, I think everyone just assumes that it's... A, it's a got a new neck. neck.
2: Also, a lot of people Amazing. prefer the new necks because like it's taken me... I've had it for... A, I guess I bought it in 2021. I've had it for a little while now and it's still, you know, my old neck was radius, you uh-huh. know. But the sound, the trouble is... Uh, it's the sound is incredible and it's like even right. everywhere and it's like it's cocaine you can't get off it once you get it you know it's just got this amazing sound quality so the fact that the neck is you know a little bit bigger than a, a like wider and not radiused you just get used to it because it's like it just pre- produces this amazing tone you know
0: yeah um and that's what's on the album every every, on track. every track
2: yeah it was my first time recording it um so and I don't remember what microphones we used. I'm like I wish I was a microphone person, but I I'm not. Quite all
0: right, I I always have to ask.
2: Yeah, totally. <laughs> um
0: Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks Bibi. I'm I'm straight out of questions. So, awesome. you know, if there's if there's anything else you need to say about the album, feel free to say it. Otherwise, maybe give people like websites of how they can Pick up their copy or maybe even check like mile 12 tour dates and and all that
2: business. Absolutely. You can find Mile 12, the CDs on our website. That's the best place to get it. The best place for us because we get all the money. (laughs) But um, you can find it everywhere and we love for people to just, you know, check it out on Spotify or whatever streaming, you know, thing you usually use. But yeah, if you want to go to our website, you could get all the t-shirts, all the goodies, all the, you know, other stuff we have for sale as well as that new record. It's mile12band.com and there's just like a little page that's the store. So it's pretty straight and in. And you
0: will be uh touring to help promote this, is that yeah. fair to say?
2: Yeah, we're touring every like, I don't know when this podcast episode will come out. Like, soon. Soon, soon. Awesome. this will be
0: like within within two weeks or so.
2: Oh amazing. Yeah. So we'll be on tour in just a few weeks from then and uh in all of March we're touring. We're playing in Boston, we're playing at the Sinclair, which will be a Definitely the biggest venue we've played in Boston so far. And we're playing New York City, Rockwood, and we're playing um, Burlington, Vermont. We're playing all down the East Coast. We're flying to Florida for a festival and then touring back through Nashville, through Atlanta. You can find all the dates on the the website, but
0: yeah. So hearing that you're doing fly gigs now that you've told us that you're playing an original five-string banjo... (laughs) Tell me how you, like, I'm stressed out for you. I know. Hearing about that. How, what's, your, what's your secret?
2: it's so, you buy the ticket? No. Um, I did when I was deciding or not to buy it. I, I Luckily, I got to try it for a week before I actually paid for it, which was mm-hmm. great. I bought a seat to, like, fly it back to Boston and try it out. But um, here's the thing I do, and I'm not sure people are probably going to write in and be like, she's crazy. But um, <laughs> what I do is uh, I have the American credit card and a Delta credit card. And for both of those companies, you get, you know, in the first boarding group, if you have that credit card, it's like the perk of being, you know, member or whatever. Yeah, so yeah. I only, only bring this banjo if I'm flying one of those two airlines and I know I can get in on the first group. And I I still carry it in, like, the Colton case and everything, but, like, I have never not gotten it on the plane, and I'm not sure I would get on the plane with this banjo if they wouldn't let, you know, if they said, no, you you can't bring that on. Yeah, yeah, for some reason, I I don't know, they're just being really, really difficult. I think I would probably, like, miss the gig or something because I would just be too scared to, like, gate check this, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, Okay. So,
2: yeah, it is a bit, it's a little bit stressful, but... um, yeah, I, I just I can't go like when I pick up my Robin Smith banjo, which I played for so long and loved that banjo to pieces, and still love it, but it's like it's just not the same. Like I can't, I don't know if I can go back. I have taken on that on tours when we can't fly American and Delta and stuff, and it yeah. it's just hard. It just bums. It's like having a bad sound guy or something. It's just like oh, this is like it's just bumming me out, you know.
0: <laughs> Once you've had the good stuff, yeah, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to go back. But yeah, yeah, I. I I love the banjo I have that's just a you know a modern banjo and I, I went to Jim Mills's place recently to interview him and so you know the banjos he has will just completely ruin you of course so yeah uh,
2: it's it's but, hard it's a tough world we live in <laughs>
0: yeah too many good banjos yep All right, BB. Well, thanks for everything. It was great seeing you. I think I'm actually seeing you probably again this weekend. Are are we both going to be banjo summiting?
2: Yes. I'm so excited for that.
0: Okay. Yep. I'm I'm sure I'll see you there. And we already have our Zoom things set up, so we'll be ready for it.
2: Excellent. Awesome. Thank you so much. Great to see you.
0: Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. You did hear plenty of sound clips, and they were all from that brand new Mile 12 release close enough to hear, which, uh, as BB just told you, you can pick up from their website or stream on all the normal places where you uh, might be streaming your music. Thank you once again to Laura Burke, today's Patreon supporter of the show. Head over to patreon.com slash podcast to support the show yourself and get your invitation to the monthly VIP lounge meetings, the next one of which is happening next Tuesday. That's February 28th at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So I hope to see you all there, and I hope to see you all next time for the next episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. So long, folks.